The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Hi, welcome to New Reflections. We've got a really interesting show this week. This week is a little controversial. The topic today is teenage plastic surgery. We're talking about plastic surgery for teenagers, kids from the age of 18 down. Now, there's a wide variety of procedures that are done, and we're not talking about exclusively aesthetic surgery. I mean, none of these kids are coming in to have a facelift, but we are talking in some cases about aesthetic surgery, and in most cases, about reconstructive procedures and uh, procedures to correct things that are just are, are out of the normal range for these kids. And we'll talk all about that. We are privileged today to have a guest who wrote a book about teenage plastic surgery. It's entitled The Safe and Sane Guide to Teenage Plastic Surgery, and that's Dr. Frederick Lukash. Dr. Lukash will be joining us in a little while. We also have Dr. Drew Schnitt. Both Dr. Lukash and Dr. Schnitt are board-certified plastic surgeons. Dr. Schnitt is a craniofacial surgeon and works a lot with Operation Smile, uh, who specialize in going around the world helping educate and helping treat, uh, educating doctors and treating patients that have cleft and other facial abnormalities. And uh, we'll talk with Dr. Schnitt about his feelings about teenage plastic surgery. And we'll have one of the patients call him. And we'll hear her story about why she chose to have a procedure as a teenager and what her experience was like. Before we get into the show, there's something important that was in the news recently, and I want to bring attention to it. In Nevada, there was a bogus clinic operating to do aesthetic procedures. And uh, unfortunately, Elena Caro, a beautiful 42-year-old woman, went to them for a buttock augmentation and instead of having her uh, coming out with a, a bigger, nicer butt, she never made it off the operating table and survived. Uh, she unfortunately had a, a significant complication, the nature of which isn't in the news, but Ms. Caro went to Ruben Matayana Galvas and Carmen Torres Sanchez to have a procedure done. Those two people are now uh, on trial for murder. The story goes that Ms. Carroll went to them for a butt augmentation. This is a clinic that was operating, believe it or not, in the back of a tile store somewhere outside Las Vegas in Nevada. Uh, now, they managed to lure patients in and have procedures done. Apparently, she was going for buttock injections. It's not clear whether they were those illegal silicone or other material injections or if it was supposed to be liposuction with fat transfer. 
But whatever she went for, things went wrong. And they knew things went wrong. And in fact, they took her about two and a half miles away and, and dumped her somewhere and left her for dead. Well, she was found and taken to a hospital. Unfortunately, she did not survive. The uh, suspects were arrested in McCarran Airport in Las Vegas trying to flee with tickets to Columbia. And uh, they are now on trial for murder. So once again, this is a, a, another example of the miserable things that happen in so many communities. This happens a lot in the Hispanic community, and Ms. Carroll, of course, being one of those Hispanic patients that suffered a, a horrible end when she went to have something done. Make sure you do your homework, know who you're going to, and get things done well. Now let's get to teenagers, teenage plastic surgery. About 10% of all the procedures done in plastic surgery by board-certified plastic surgeons are done on, on patients that are under the age of 20. Now the majority of these are reconstructive procedures. Some of them are cosmetic. And we will talk today about the variety of procedures. The majority of these things are things like congenital moles, large nevuses or nevi. Uh, these are big brown spots on the skin. <clears throat> Kids can be born with them. Uh, they can be sometimes quite large, sometimes in unfortunate places that are obvious and, and can cause dis discomfort at a later age in the, in the sense that kids are cruel. You know, they'll make fun of anything. And then otoplasty, or ears, are probably the most common thing that gets done on young kids. There's a condition called Poland syndrome. Poland syndrome is a deformity of the chest where one breast, uh, sometimes the nipple included, sometimes uh, parts of the chest wall, the ribs, the muscles, are not formed normally and it will frequently, well not frequently thankfully, but when we see these patients, they do commonly have gross asymmetry of their breasts. And one breast is much bigger and the other one might not even be there at all and if it is, it could be very small. So we do see patients for that and do breast augmentation uh, as part of the treatment for Poland syndrome. Of course, noses, rhinoplasty surgery is very common. And, and we do see some kids for cosmetic issues because they are tormented in school. They do have a feature in their body that's a little bit outside the norm, uh, or actually more than a little bit, but significantly outside the norm, and they feel very uncomfortable about it. In fact, I had one patient that, uh, that had very narrow, slitty eyes. This is a big, heavy guy, big, strong guy, played football. He came to me when he was 19, uh, more or less an adult, really. Uh, at 19, it, uh, could understand what was going on, could make the choice, and he made the choice to have his eyes improved because he really didn't like how people would constantly ask him, you know, are you tired, why do you, you look so sad, etc. So we do sometimes perform cosmetic procedures on younger folks to help them feel better about themselves. Let's, let's go to the expert. We've got Dr. Lukash. Dr. Lukash, welcome yes. to New Reflections. Hello, I'm here. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, uh, Dr. Lukash, you are the author of the book, The Safe and Sane Guide to Teenage Plastic Surgery. Tell us what led to you writing this book. Well, I've been doing pediatric and adolescent plastic surgery for well over 30 years, and I uh, began to collect uh, drawings of my children that I've operated on, uh, getting their before and after impressions of how they viewed themselves. And I went back 5, 10, 15, 20 years after the surgeries and contacted those patients and their families and asked them about the difference that the surgery made in their lives. And I took that information, that compendium of the art and the attestations, and it drove me to make a guide for parents and for any other professionals interested in body image and self-esteem as it relates to children and adolescents. 
That's really pretty fantastic. And take a career worth of of information and and experience, and to bring it to this one collection in your book. I've seen some of the drawings. They're really pretty pretty emotional drawings by the kids. And of course, you know, being on radio, we can't really show you the pictures. But you know, take a look at. Uh, some of these drawings, and you can see them on uh, different websites. Where can where can listeners go to take a look at a couple of these drawings? Well, you could go to um, my website, uh, drlukash or drlukash.com, and you can also go to um, teenageplasticsurgery.com, which uh, opens up my book. And at the end of the book on one of the bars, it'll take you into the art and attestation section, and you can view some of the art there. Yeah, it really is impressive. I've looked at, I looked at a number of these, and there's a running theme that we see. We see these drawings before where the kids are drawing themselves in very dark colors or perhaps crying in the pictures, and, and there's obvious torment within these, these pictures they've drawn. And then when you take a look at the drawings after surgery, they're much brighter. Suddenly there's color in their, in their uh, depiction of themselves, and they're smiling, and they're bright and sunny. It's a remarkable difference. It really does demonstrate the change that goes on in, uh, in a child's self-esteem and their, their self-worth. It's, it's an amazing, amazing depiction. Yeah, well, this, depiction. Convinced me, this convinced me beyond what, you know, anyone might, uh, you know, Say to be politically correct that uh, you should uh, just grow with it, be comfortable with it, because these nonverbal communications really signal the internal torment. And taking the uh, at the time that I had them reviewed by child psychiatrists and art therapists, it was probably about twenty years into this project, and it, and these pictures all fell into very defined categories of how these children viewed themselves before. And the anxiety was was very real and abated after the surgery. So where we should not ever say that, you know, surgery on, on younger people is the, the end-all and be-all to all of their anxieties for the right person at the right time under the right set of circumstances, it's the right answer. And that's a great point. Let, let's go into that because you started by talking about the the dogmatic view. You know, the, the average person in society. We grab someone off the street and say, "Well, what do you think about a kid under the age of eighteen having plastic surgery?" Of course, as soon as you hear plastic surgery, it connotes thoughts of facelifts, breast augmentation, liposuction, and, and so the first response could be, "Oh my God, no, that that can't be good. Who would ever want to do this? Totally inappropriate." Well, that's but, the biggest. That's the biggest problem that we as plastic surgeons. Face, and that is that society has placed us in a very um, frivolous or almost dismissive category that we are really just the beauty people and we're fodder for the tabloids. So I think that we as a society have in some ways lost our direction from you know, our founding fathers and being the best and the brightest and the most creative and looking to solve problems. And I think that what we need to do is to find our way back, and that's one of the reasons that I, that I wrote the book, was I was trying to get 
people to understand that there are moral and ethical surgeons out there who want to do the right thing, and if the right oh, thing absolutely. is absolutely, yeah, and we deal with that. We deal with that a lot in this show. Uh, we're talking about going to the right type of plastic surgeon. Of course, when we're talking about plastic surgeons, we're talking about board certified plastic surgeons who are board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, and there's countless other cosmetic professionals, if I can even call them that, that are performing these procedures that are not properly trained. But that we're touching on an issue here where we're talking about young kids, the average person in society is going to say, and because of that, that sense that plastic surgery is you know, glamour and fluff, that it's not appropriate for kids, but it's not really looking at the big picture. Now, you and I know that when you're talking about something like fixing a, a child's prominent ears, that's not really... A, a truly cosmetic operation. There's this, that's an abnormal situation that you're operating on to make a more normal situation. It's very different from taking someone who looks pretty good and just wants to look better. Right. Well, we have to deal. The, the terms cosmetic and reconstructive are, you know, difficult terms because they're subjective. I mean, obviously, if we look at a cleft lip, everyone will say that that's reconstructive, and if we talk about a facelift, everyone will say that that's cosmetic. But, you know, many of us live in the world of the shades of gray, where, like in, like the prominent ear, insurance companies will clearly see that as cosmetic because there's no functional issue, but we know that there's an anatomical, you know, deviance from normal, and we want to correct that. But, well, right, um, right, but yeah, the insurance companies are a whole other wrinkle in this because they're in business not to pay us. Right, but that leads into the, into the public perception. So, you know, what I've done and I've put into the book is that I tend to eliminate the terms cosmetic and reconstructive and use the term quality of life surgery because when we're dealing with this younger set, we're really dealing with structural issues, not rejuvenative issues. So... You try to evaluate the structural flaw or the perceived structural flaw and put it into perspective with their emotional response to it and then decide if surgery would be the right option. Yeah, it's a very complex decision and there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of dynamics when you're looking at a child that you're making the decision, am I going to operate on this person or not? And then, of course, there's the, the family dynamics. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to get really into the heart of the matter of deciding when it's the right time, what some of the right procedures might be. We're going to take a short commercial break right now. When we come back, we will be back with Dr. Luke Cash, board-certified plastic surgeon and author of Teenage Plastic Surgery here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. 
Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein. I am joined by Dr. Frederick Lukash, and uh, we are talking about teenagers having plastic surgery. Now, before the break, we were just getting into the idea that this is a, a difficult decision. It's a difficult decision for the patients to choose to have a procedure. It's a difficult decision for their families to agree that this is something that's important enough to have a procedure. And it's a difficult decision for the doctor that's sitting in their office during a consultation deciding whether or not this patient is a good candidate for this procedure, both physically and, and more important, emotionally. Now, you know, as, as an expert, Dr. Lukash, what is your approach? You, know, you have a young kid comes to the office. Of course, they're going to be coming with uh, a parent in most cases, if not both. And you're sitting down and talking with them. First of all, what's the most common procedure that you see? And describe for us what the process is like uh, during that consultation. Well, it depends. You know, it depends upon the age situation. You know, ears we can see anywhere from six on up. Noses we're not going to see until twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and on up. Breasts is going to be unlikely to be seen until they're eighteen and on up. So where it most often falls into these categories, for the most part, you don't see them until they're, they're relatively, at least structurally, age-appropriate. And obviously, if they're not structurally age-appropriate, then we have to open up the dialogue about um, what is the emotional angst that's driving them in to make us even consider doing something that may be earlier than ideally age-appropriate. But the first thing that I do is I don't really talk about why they're here. I just sort of get into their head as to who they are, um, what's their life about, and I look at the dynamic between the family that's accompanied the child and the child, and I just try to see if they all seem to be on the same page. And then I work my way into, you know, why are they here, and I spend a lot of time looking at the reactions between the child and the family to see how they're responding to each other, to find out 
who's the driver of the consultation? Is it the child who's very disturbed, or is in fact the child less disturbed, but the parents are, you know, maybe trying to be more proactive or are driven for their own emotional reasons? So I try to sort out the dynamic to begin to decide in my own mind uh, if I'm going to proceed with this individual. No, I think that, that's a great way to describe what happens. You know, more often than not, this is not really an anatomic or or physiologic decision. You know, this, the structural aspect of this is pretty obvious. When someone comes into the office and they've got a large hump on their nose, or they've got Poland syndrome, where they've got one breast and, and no other, or uh, really ears sticking way out of the side of their head, you can look at them and say, okay, well. You're definitely someone who can, it can be improved, you can make this better for you, and you have a real problem that, that can be corrected. That's an easy decision, but the harder decision is, are you ready to have this procedure, and is it really something that you, as a patient, want? Now, you were talking about the dynamics between the parents and the kids. How often do you see conflict between them, you know, either a parent that doesn't want the child to have a procedure but is, is somehow supportive because they, they on some level recognize the suffering the child's going through and vice versa the child that you know really doesn't care about their appearance or whatever the problem seems to be and the parent that's maybe over concerned because they don't want the child to have those kind of sufferings in their social sense well I, I've seen I've seen it all and you really have to begin to work through the conversation because sometimes the child may want it but as most adolescents and teenagers can be they can be you know sort of have an adversarial relationship with their parents as any parent will know having <laughs> having teens so once they get into the room even though they want it and you ask them about it they'll sort of shrug their shoulders and then the parent will go what do you mean you wanted to come here and it's so you really have to begin to talk through it, work through it, and and put everybody at ease. And I think that one of the take-home messages for your audience is that if someone is seeking out a plastic surgeon to work on this patient population, one of the things they need to make sure of is that that surgeon is prepared to deal with the entire family unit. Because when you operate on minorities under 18, it's a group decision because they're not of legal majority to sign their own consents and make their own decisions so if you're not prepared for multiple interventions from parents grandparents uncles aunts multiple phone calls then it's not the right population for you to be handling yeah no question I, I, I think that surgeons need to be need to handle the family dynamic but you know listeners out there uh, may may have kids that are considering these kind of things and Choosing the doctor that you're going to go to is an important choice. And, of course, always look, once again, the American Board of Plastic Surgery is, is the board certification you want to look for. But beyond that, you want to look at for someone that has experience handling kids. Uh, there are doctors like Dr. Lukash that have more experience handling kids. We're going to have another one on shortly, Dr. Drew Schnitt, who has expertise in operating on children. And, and there's plenty of folks out there that do that, and it's an important aspect because this is a total family decision to have it done. Now, what about aesthetic surgery for kids under 18? Well, how do we define that? 
Well, fair enough. What about someone, a girl that comes in? I'll give you a scenario. What about a girl that comes in? Maybe she's 16 years old, maybe 16 or 17, you can choose, but under 18. And she's got small breasts. And they're, they're pretty small. She's, she's a precocious girl. She's very mature. She's going to be going to college. And let's say she's 17. She's going to college next year and really feels self-conscious. She doesn't feel good wearing her, her bikini or bathing suits. You know, I'm in Miami, so everything down here is a bikini. But wearing bathing suits, being out on the beach, being at a pool, just even wearing tank tops, she doesn't feel feminine. She, she feels very self-conscious about having small breasts. But she's under 18, she wants to have a breast augmentation. And she comes in with mom, who understands what she's saying, and she's supportive. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to, uh, once again, engage in a real discussion. I'm going to explain to that individual that for most patients, they have to be over the age of 18 in order for the FDA and our society to... Um, you know, condone uh, breast augmentation. I'm going to talk about the fact that they have a long life ahead of them and that their desires may change. I'm going to tell them that these implants, you know, although we'd like to consider them permanent, have to be thought of as something that may be require replacement over their long life, that there may be technological advances in implants or other types of advances that may um, mandate the removal of these implants. So once you begin to go over everything, because many times kids in this quick-fix society say, I'm just going to come in for a boob job and then alls will be well in the world. But once they find out that they need to visit the doctor once a year and that perhaps at, a, at three years out if they have silicone implants, they may need to have an MRI, they may back off from it and say, well, you know, that's more than I want to deal with. But I'm I'm a big believer in doing surgery in transitional periods. So if that girl made a compelling argument to me and if her structure was such that I thought that an appropriate breast augmentation would be helpful and everyone was ultimately on board, then I would probably defer it until after graduation and before college where she would move from one transitional period into the next. So you would you would get into the high school graduation period. Maybe she'll be seventeen at that time, and and you would go ahead with the procedure. I don't think I would. The only way that I would do it at seventeen, because again, there would have to be an emotional driver that would make me step out of our society's recommendations for sure. when an augmentation should be done. Now I have had patients who have had virtually no breasts and. You know, it has it has paid an emotional toll on them, and they have had psychological counseling. And you know, structurally, um, a flat chest is not something that a young girl is of any age is supposed to have when they're pubescent. Now, the other issue is you know, what size are they going to be? Now, sure, you know, sure. I, I live in the Northeast, and you know, my perception of you know, a breast augmentation can be a lot different than someone who's down in your your neck of the woods. So for me, they would have to fall into the parameters of what I thought was aesthetically appropriate or I wouldn't do it. All right, but, but the bottom line is that you're not drawing a hard line across that 18 age. You know, and as the American Society of Plastic Surgeons recommends for aesthetic surgery, particularly breast augmentation, that you not perform those procedures under the age of 18, 
But that, of course, is a guideline and not a hard rule. So what I'm hearing is that you, and I agree, by the way, that uh, for the right reasons, at the right time of their life, for a mature, understanding patient, that that, that is a guideline and not a rule. So I well, would and have done breast augmentation on 17-year-olds. Well, that's, the whole thing is to be a physician first, which means to be a good listener and to understand your patient. So... You know, one of our, you know, fathers of medicine, Sir William Osler, said, listen to your patient. He's trying to tell you what's wrong with him. And if we listen and we try to understand, then we can try to decide if we can offer a surgical solution. The question is to make sure that it's not a runaway train. Right, right. I think you want to make sure you have an appropriate patient. Well, joining us now, getting into the conversation, is Dr. Drew Schnitt. Dr. Drew Schnitt is a board-certified plastic surgeon who practices down here in South Florida. He also is very involved with Operation Smile. Operation Smile is an organization that helps treat patients around the world and educate surgeons around the world in the treatment of cleft and other facial, and, and uh, I, I suppose they, they do other abnormalities, perhaps hand surgery and other things. Dr. Schmidt, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for hey. having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And, and of course, uh, we've got Dr. Lou Cash in New York, who wrote a book on teenage plastic surgeries. We're having this discussion about teens having plastic surgery, and I know in your practice you deal with a lot of kids. True. And most of the stuff that you do really is reconstructive surgery, though how often would you say that you come across someone under the age of 18 that's considering what the average person would think would be a, an aesthetic procedure? I think quite commonly, and there's, there's a lot of crossover between reconstructive surgery and cosmetic surgery. If you take a patient born without an ear, for instance, uh, putting an ear back in many ways is a cosmetic procedure if, if it's not... Uh, specifically focused on the functional aspects of hearing. Um, putting uh, a cleft lip together uh, in many ways is functional, but along with that cleft lip goes an abnormal nose, and, and working on that nose and reconstructing it can be considered to many degrees cosmetic, and certainly as they get older, if they're not having functional issues but still have deformity from their cleft, that's, uh, that's all in a realm of of cosmetic touch-up surgery. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that actually brings to mind uh, one point that, that I know that Dr. Lukash has worked on over the years, and I know that uh, we, we down here in South Florida have dealt with, is insurance coverage for reconstructive surgery on kids is, is not that hard to get. But then the, the line between reconstructive and cosmetic, where that line is drawn, is a controversial thing. And I know down here we have legislation that, that guarantees treatment for clefts and the associated abnormalities for all kids. And I know, Dr. Lukash, I, I know you've been active in trying to redefine how insurance companies decide what's covered and what's not. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I've been working on that for, for decades, but that is a real uphill battle. And um, you can send psychological evaluations to insurance companies, uh, examinations from otolaryngologists, you can go, you know, out to the nth degree, but if they have a written protocol as to what they're going to cover, they're, they're not likely to deviate from it. And it's a very tragic thing when you have to tell parents who 
are of limited means that their child whose ears stick way out, you know, this is unfortunately what the price is. And even if you're offering to do it for a reduced amount between the hospital and the anesthesia and the facility, it ends up being a sizable amount of money. And many times they cannot afford to do it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It can be a tough thing for a lot of families. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be back with Dr. Lukash and Dr. Schnitt after these messages, and we'll continue our discussion about teenage plastic surgery here on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Do you know if kidney disease is affecting you? Are your kidneys healthy? You may have kidney disease and not even be aware of it. 26 million people have been affected by kidney disease. Teenagers today are being diagnosed with symptoms such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. These conditions can worsen kidney health and cause kidney disease. Be sure to tune in to improve your kidney health with your host, Dr. Rich Snyder, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The information you get on this program could help save your life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, and we're here with Dr. Lukash and Dr. Schnitt, all board-certified plastic surgeons, and we're talking about plastic surgery for teenagers. Now, you know, we've been through a lot of the discussion about reconstructive procedures, but let's get more into the aesthetic surgery, or what the average person would call aesthetic surgery. Uh, obviously, when we're talking about something like Poland syndrome, like we were earlier, where you've got one breast and not the other one developed, that is something that almost anyone can look at and say, well, that is, that's an abnormality. There's something wrong there, and that poor girl really needs to have something done about it. Now, what, what are good motivations, Dr. Schnitt, when you're thinking about doing a breast augmentation in a girl that might be under 18? I think, you know, I, I think my thoughts are very much along the lines of, of your thoughts, Dr. Rubenstein and Dr. Lukash's thoughts, that there would have to be a very compelling reason and some significant psychosocial issues to do a cosmetic procedure such as a breast augmentation on a patient that's not of legal age. I generally would reserve that for somebody who was 
18 years old and older and free to make their own medical decisions in life. Um, and now, what about what about noses? Because I think you know, there's a certain stigma that the breast augmentation has because we're putting an implant into somebody, sure. you know, and then there's, there's probably going to be other procedures. I mean, take a look right. at something like a nose. You a know, nose, sure. A nose or a rhinoplasty is something that I would look at a little bit differently. And I certainly would prefer to do a definitive rhinoplasty after a patient has reached their skeletal and developmental maturity because if you intervene too early, you're likely to be back there having to redo something because of skeletal growth and, and uh, soft tissue growth. But if somebody is at the, at the brink of or have reached skeletal maturity and somebody's having significant psychosocial issues and even on top of that some functional issues from certain nasal problems, then I don't have as much of an issue with doing uh, definitive nasal surgery. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I frequently do nasal surgeries on, like we said before, cleft patients who might uh, otherwise be considered a cosmetic patient. Well, and uh, tell me, uh, Dr. Lukash, Dr. Schnitt, give me age ranges. Our listeners are out there trying to make heads or tails of this and understanding what is what is too young, what are the age ranges that, that you guys think would be appropriate to someone walking into the office. Now, of course, we're assuming that they have good motivation, that they're mature enough and they can participate in the decision, that the kids want to have it done, the family is supportive. What are the age ranges for various procedures? When would you do the procedures? I have done uh, rhinoplasties or nasal surgery on 16, 17, 18-year-olds for the, for the right reasons and sometimes combined with functional surgery where they're having anesthesia anyway. As okay. you said before, um, with breast surgery, uh, I have plenty of patients that come in with uh, Poland syndrome and other breast deformities that there's clearly a compelling reason to try to help them earlier. In fact, I have a Poland syndrome patient right now that I've, that I've uh, reconstructed and put an implant in and is currently getting expansion. But um, as far as a definitive uh, breast augmentation, uh, I would still stick to the guidelines that we discussed. If what about Dr. 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 Lukash? Do you agree with that? What about the age ranges for your... Well, for... I mean, look, everybody wants to see uh, physical maturity as well as emotional maturity. And again, what I, what I tell everybody when they come in is that a consultation is informative and it's, um, it's harmless in the sense that, you know, you're going to walk out with information, but you're not having surgery, you're not committed to anything. Now, sometimes a young person can come in and they're just looking for light at the end of the tunnel. If you tell them that, you know, we'll see you back... In another year, you're not quite physically mature enough for it. It's enough to get them over that hump because they know that something can be done and their family is supportive. I have done surgery on 13- and 14-year-olds on the nose. I mean, not as a rule, but as someone who has been sort of a social outlier. Their nose is, is hugely large for their face. They're being derided in school. They're not functioning. They're, their life is spinning out of control, and, of course, you have to discuss the fact that as they grow, they may need revisional surgery. Now, I had one girl who I, I tried to put off, but she was just emotionally out of control. I did her at 14. Her pictures are in my book, her drawings before and after. And indeed, when she got older, she did um, become a candidate for some revisional surgery, but she was so 
psychologically well adjusted at that time because she had had three years of you know growing with her friends and not being isolated that she was comfortable in her own skin so she didn't require anything yeah but no I, I, I agree I, with I, that now that that brings to, to light one important topic uh, by even considering doing operations on on these kids it, it being an option are we teaching them that it that this is an okay easy out is that is there you think there's a message being sent shouldn't we be trying to teach them that they should accept things the way they are and and not seek this out and that that's sort of the the prevailing feeling in society that's what most people would say anyone listening to the show is saying boy these guys are crazy operating on 13 14 even 15 year old kids just tell them it's going to be okay but you know Dr. Lukash your whole career has been spent on taking care of people, understanding that it's it's not always just going to be well. Right. It's it's fine for for everyone to tell them it's going to be okay, and it would be great. And we don't want them as surgical patients if indeed that information or that counseling does in fact make it okay. The people that we're taking care of are the people where it never becomes okay that the parents tell their child that their ears are cute and they love them and. But when they leave the house, it's a it's a, a, a horrible world out there, and they come home completely emotionally beaten. And at some point, you have to begin the dialogue about what can we do about this. And I'm not saying that we should open the floodgates and start to take care of every kid who's got every kind of adolescent anxiety. That would clearly be the wrong message. And in my book, which is called The Safe and Sane Guide to Teenage Plastic Surgery, there's more red flags than green lights. We look for reasons not to do it, but on the other hand, can't run away from certain issues. That's why we're here. That's why we have the skill set to be good doctors and do what's appropriate. Yeah, I think that's a great message. That's really important. I mean, I mean you're sorry. clearly talking about, you know, extenuating circumstances, and by no means is, are, are we applying this to all patients, but, you know, just take this kind of scenario in put it put it in kind of this perspective a kid comes in with a large nevus or mole on the side of their face okay there may be some medical reasons to remove that but mainly that kid is there for psychosocial reasons and that kid um, is probably having a lot of ridicule and teasing and difficult psychosocial issues with dealing with that blemish and we may be able to say, yes, that may have a small potential for malignant degeneration, but a lot of times we're taking that off for the psychosocial well-being of that patient. And to me, that is not a huge difference than correcting some other significant deformity that lies well outside of the parameters of what a normal person would look like and gets along uh, with in life. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think we're all in agreement, and and you said it best, Dr. Lukash, we're not looking for these patients. We're not out soliciting young kids to have surgery. But I think it's important to keep in mind what their life is like. And you're exactly right. Both of you made the point that the main driving force in a young person deciding to have any procedure, whether it's uh, having the mole removed from the face or having an otoplasty, getting their ears pinned back, or, or even having a breast augmentation when they're a young girl is is all about their self-confidence and how they feel and their social interactions and I think we all agree that a mature well-adjusted patient for the right reasons 
that understands what they're choosing can can still be a good candidate. That, that there is no hard line. Going along with what Dr. Schnitt said is that you know families are always looking for a justification. So you know when you look at that mole, you know it's benign, but it's it, it justifies the surgery because it could possibly be malignant. You know the families are very happy to say, well, my child has a deviated septum or. The breasts need to be done because they're having all kinds of back pain. You know, it may be true, may not be true, but to them it provides a justification to make it more politically correct. And I think what we're trying to do with the dialogue here is to establish under certain circumstances the mere fact of a structural problem can be enough of a driver to make surgery a consideration. Yeah, I think if, the, if like I said, I think if you have a patient that understands what they're choosing, they're mature enough to get it, and a, a family that will be supportive and understand the process, then I, I think there's no hard line drawn at any age. I think that's the take-home message. Obviously, you go to extremes, you can say, you know, you're never going to do a breast augmentation on a 12-year-old, more than likely, sure. but you, I think there, there are certainly broader ranges than the usual guidelines are. So we're, we're going to have to take a short commercial break, and we actually have on hold uh, one of the teen plastic surgery patients. When we come back from the break, we'll be joined by a patient who will tell her story, why she decided to have surgery and how it's all gone. We'll be right back after this brief break on New Reflections. Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We are now joined by one of uh, the teenage plastic surgery patients. Demi, welcome to New Reflections. Hi. 
Well, thanks for calling in. We really appreciate having you here. Uh, Demi, you made the decision as a teenager to yes. have a procedure. So tell us, what did you have done? Okay, the procedure that I had done was rhinoplasty. I just did my nose. Um, actually, I did it last year in August. And as of today, it's perfect. I cannot ask for more of what has been done. Um, what I had was removed was my um, actual the hump on top of my nose. And my nasal tip was just raised a little bit. I didn't need much of a change, but I was very uncomfortable with how I looked. It wasn't a huge hump on my nose. It wasn't, you know, my nasal tip wasn't so drooped, but I was uncomfortable. I knew that I could have a prettier nose, and it can like, change the way I look. And, and how, long, how long were you thinking about having surgery before you made the decision to come in and, and have something done? Um, maybe about a year. I was back and forth about it. I never was really like, said, okay, yeah, I'm going to do surgery. I need to do surgery. I was just very like, I hate this hump on my nose. I hate this. I wish it was more like this. I wish it was more like that. But it wasn't until finally that I got with my boyfriend and his mother um, actually worked with um, my surgeon. And she told me, he's like, hey, this guy's great. You know, I told her how I felt about my nose, and she's like, believe me, he's awesome. You can do it. So I went, and I actually got a consultation, and I fell in love. Um, I mean, I was very, very comfortable with it. I wasn't very scared of how I was going to look afterwards. You know, I, I saw reviews. Everything was good. I just knew that it could only get better. Um, I, I was afraid because you can see a bunch of women these days and teenagers that actually go through with these surgeries, and some of them actually look like they have a fake nose. And that's what that's what I was actually kind of afraid of, is actually looking like, hey, look, you can tell this girl has her nose done. I didn't want that. But I was comfortable in the sense that I knew that everything was going to kind of be okay, and everything turned out great. I now, now, Dr. Lukash, you, you hear and see this a lot in your office. What what would you ask uh, Demi about her decision? If you were seeing her, what would be the motivators that would say, okay, this is a patient I think would be a good candidate to have a procedure? Well, the first thing I would do is, you know, just get to know her, talk about her, find out, you know, what her plans are, um, how she's doing in school, what sports she's involved in, what activities she's involved in. I try to get a sense of, you know, the emotional wellness of the individual. And then, you know, I'll always ask them, you know, what basically bothers you about your nose. And then for noses, um, one of the things that, that I use a lot is computer imaging because, I, you know, I can, I can put on the image screen what I can do surgically. And... It helps me communicate with the individual because if they want something different than what I think is appropriate for them, then I know that we're not a match, surgeon and patient. But mm -hmm. if we strike the, the harmony and what I can predictably do is what they'll be happy with, then I know that I can move forward. And then I like to show them a lot of before and afters of my work. I like to put them in contact with other patients that I have personally operated on so they know about the experience. I try to make their their parents comfortable with the fact that they can ask an unlimited amount of questions and return as many times as they want so that they're totally comfortable with the decision that would be made to go forward. 
Uh, it's all good stuff. One comment that I would make about computer imaging is that it's important that it's done by someone who's a reasonable surgeon, someone who's going to give you an accurate idea, because computer imaging is a great tool, but you can make someone look like Pinocchio or, or like Halle Berry and not necessarily be able to accomplish that in the operating room. So it's and what important. I do is, with the, with, um, I have a whole series of befores, imaged afters, and the real afters, side by side, so mm -hmm. I try to show them that what I draw is what I can do, and then I will use it as a tool to go one step further and to show them why I won't do certain things. I won't lower the, 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 the bridge of the nose too much, or I won't raise the tip too much, or it also helps me help them understand that maybe it's more than the nose. Maybe their chin needs to be addressed as well, looking at facial balance. So sure, sure. I only use it as a learning tool, as a way of actually looking at something face-to-face -face. because, of course, you know, what the audience needs to understand, which is probably what they already know, is that when you look at your image, you're seeing the reverse image. You're seeing the mirror image. So when we're talking in a room and they're looking in the mirror and I'm looking face-to-face, -face, we're not seeing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So as quickly as you can put it up on the screen, everybody's looking at the same image, and it makes it a lot easier to have a discussion. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think computer imaging is a good is a good tool, but just keep in mind, folks listening out there that might go to a doctor and look for this type of tool to be used, it's just a tool, it's just an example, and it, even in the best of hands, it cannot be completely duplicated in the operating room, though it's, it can give you a real good sense of direction of where you think things might go. Now, now Demi... Yeah. What what was going on for you in your life, and was this something that was entirely personal, or were there were there other folks that maybe had an influence in this? Well, I do model, and I noticed that with um, the pictures that I would take, sometimes you know, the nose actually made my face look a little bit more kind of masculine. Um, it. Like, my bone structure, I already have, like, a, a very, you know, broad bone structure, so my nose just add more, like, masculinity to my to my face. So I know my, like, as, like, my photographers and stuff would tell me, I would ask them, look, do you think I should do nose surgery? And they would ask, they would tell me, you know what, it would actually make your face look a little bit more feminine, especially through the camera and through your pictures. So in that sense, I w that's what I wanted to do as well. But overall, it was very kind of personal. I wanted, besides my modeling, I just wanted to do it for myself as well. So this is really something that you had the idea of, and you started talking with people, I guess, particularly, you know, looking at the photographers that were taking your picture and, and having them give their two cents. But now since surgery, how has it changed the way you feel about yourself? Oh, I, I'm more, I love taking pictures now. Um, my photos have turned drastically it's amazing how much of a difference it can make and no i just feel very comfortable with my comfortable with myself and i'm very very happy with what is what has been done to my nose and to my face because it's affected the way i look as well just by doing my nose it affects my entire face would you do it again if you had the choice would i do it again mm -hmm. yeah i would i mean i wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like a, i wasn't in pain it wasn't uncomfortable for me afterwards. I I wasn't swelling. Like I know a lot of people like are scared of that when they go into surgeries. Oh, how was the you know how how long is it going to be for recovery? Are you going to be in pain? And everything was very smooth for me. Thank God. 
so yeah, I would go through it again. Well, that, that's great to hear. I'm glad you had such a great experience. Demi, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you guys very much. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks. Take care, Demi. All right. Bye. Bye. Um, one, we're, know, we're I, I would make, I'd make one comment that the audience should pick up on that. I mean, the, to me, the main driver is she wanted to do it for herself. The secondary sort of orange light was to do it for her modeling career. Mm -hmm. Because you do it for the modeling career, and the modeling career doesn't take off. You don't want it to be that, um, you know, the surgery was a failure. Or so I look for more personal drivers than you know. This is going to launch my career. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'll, before we close, I'll tell a real quick story. Uh, one of my mentors, who's got a, a terrific, had, he's now retired. He had a terrific career in cosmetic surgery. And he always told the story of this male patient that came to him to have his nose done. And he did have a little hump, the nose was a little bit broad, a little thick. And he went ahead and had a rhinoplasty. And he would always come in with his girlfriend. And during the recovery process, he'd come up with the girlfriend. He seemed kind of happy about it. But then, uh, this was a guy that had an acting career. And he felt that he, you know, if he got his nose done, he'd be able to get more acting work, etc. And, uh, you know, he, after a while, he, Going through the different follow-ups, he'd come back, and, and he just looked progressively less happy. And the nose looked great. You know, if you just looked at it objectively, it was a terrific result. And he would always come in with his girlfriend, and he would be more and more upset. Things weren't weren't well going well for him. And one day, the girlfriend took the surgeon aside because the surgeon was feeling kind of distressed. Look, he got a great result. I'm not sure what to tell this guy. And the girlfriend took him aside and said, "Hey, listen. You know, he thought he was going to be getting more work with this. And the truth is." He's not really all that good an actor. <laughs> so in the end, you know, I think you're right. It's not, it, that's not the main motivator. We, there's a lot that we, we could get further into. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. We've had Dr. Lou Castro, Frederick Lou Castro in New York. He's a author of the book, Teenage, The Safe and Sane Guide to Teenage Plastic Surgery, which you can get on Amazon. You can go to teenageplasticsurgery.com and check out the book. Or Dr. Lukash, it's D-R-Lukash, L-U-K-A-S-H, dot com, and learn more about Dr. Lukash. Dr. Schnitt, where can people go to learn more about you? Sure, it's, it's uh, drewschnitt.com, D-R-E-W-S-C-H-N-I-T-T.com, or my email is drschnitt at me.com, M-E.com. And that's Dr. Drew Schnitt in South Florida. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein and host of New Reflections. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with a brand new show live on New Reflections. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.